good double bang. It was a double bang. <laughs> it was. Why, why is my thing never come in like that? Do you want it to? I could talk to them about that. Could you talk to your people? Uh-huh. And see if we'll they give something. Maybe I'd like to come in with a bang. You want to come with a bang? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know those stories where you no. choose this? What stories? <laughs> yeah, you choose this word, and then you choose this word, and that thing, and you have to put them all together in one story? You do. <laughs> what? Okay. So I've come up with that, the students and I have, from questions that they have. So the basis of the story is how did Can we you... start over? <laughs> you know that, those stories that you choose this word and then that word? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> can, you, can you teach me about that? I came to learn. <laughs> so did I. But, however... However, mm-hmm. so is that one of the words? No. No. One of the words this is... This is getting very confusing. <laughs> one of the words is inventionering. I've heard of that, mm-hmm. inventionary. And the other two words um, are the optimism curve. And the basis of the story, they want you to finish telling how in the world did you get the hydrogen engine to work? Oh, brother. <laughs> they're, no. Now, they're who are these people work. again? Well, there are a lot of students. There are a lot of students. I want, their, I want their IDs. I'm going to send them a message. <laughs> <laughs> are, are, okay. are you making are you this serious? up? Are you? No, I, these are this this real. real. Hmm? It's real. So this is, are we on? <laughs> we're on. <laughs> we're on. <laughs> Hello. <clears throat> Tonight, we're going to hear from her. We did already. Oh, inventioneering. Uh Do you think everybody knows what that means? No. Because we invented it right here, didn't we? Yeah, because there's scientists, there's engineering, there's Mm -hmm. science, but there's not inventioneering. So science is the search for truth and knowledge Mm -hmm. using the scientific method, okay? Mm -hmm. Engineering is when you learn how to make things using science. So you design bridges, statues... Schwarzenegger, all those kind of things. But inventioneering is kind of a new branch. It's where you learn scientific tools, engineering tools, and they are tools. They're they're tools that allow you to do things. And then you apply them to solving problems. Very often, an inventioneer comes up with a solution, an invention to solve a problem. So they say the mother of inventionering is a problem. You have to have a problem to solve. Quite often, on the other hand, though, it goes the other way around. And in fact, maybe more with inventioneers and others, and that is there's a new technology, something we learn about nature, about materials that we didn't expect, and then an inventioneer takes that, whoa, what could I do with this? Before nobody had this, now I have it. What could I do with this? So we start trying to figure out where if it's, it's like when you're doing a puzzle. You know, big puzzles with a lot of pieces should have a lot of colors. But some of the meanest puzzles are all the same color. <laughs> and you pick up a piece and it could go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like the blue sky. And so that piece 
is a piece that fits somewhere in the puzzle, mm -hmm. and the question is where? And an inventioneer will start trying this new technology to see what can be done with it that's never been done before. It's kind of exciting. Inventioneering is a wonderful field, and uh, there have been inventioneers for a very, very long time. Uh, a guy that was born in 1450, I believe, 53, was Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, okay. And I like to think about him as the, the guy I call the first inventioneer. Now, when I met him, I was just a kid. <laughs> it was a long time ago. I'm envious. No, but I, I really think he's an amazing person. And he studied. He figured out a lot of things. He would watch birds. He would see different things. And with them, he made a lot of inventions. And he also made some really, really amazing art. And inventioneers like things that are discovered that don't make sense. When you're doing an experiment in science, we're, we're trained that you should kind of plan your experiment and have a prediction or a hypothesis. I think what's going to happen when I do this is, and then you do the experiment to see if you're right. If you're not and something different happens, then you have something new to learn. Sometimes it's a bad experiment. Sometimes maybe you just didn't do your homework. But other times, everyone would have predicted what didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got the opportunity of a breakthrough. Chemists and physicists work very often in research that involves very, very, very fundamental experiments. They're looking for fundamental concepts. Mm -hmm. We love those people. <laughs> because they come up with really crazy things. And then they think that when you find something really crazy, that means you get to publish a paper and put your name on it. <laughs> and that's great. We're so happy for them. Mm -hmm. But those papers telling about new phenomena, new breakthroughs, those are the tools we use to change the world, to solve world problems. I... Uh, Started my science career really in, in high school for the science fair, working on the hydrogen engine. And then I built a company, and, and uh, when I got into the company, uh, I named it Energy Research Corporation. And later they called it Billings Energy Research Corporation. We're researching energy, and I'm working on these hydrogen projects, but they had a lot of very tough technical problems to solve. And we were a few decades before the world was ready for the technology. We're just getting ready for it right now. So to keep the company going, I had to take the arm over to Philadelphia. <laughs> but I didn't have an arm. So I had to come up with a way to be able to finance my hydrogen research. I knew that we needed to do the research. We needed to develop the technologies. And so I decided I'm going to come up with a revolutionary product that will make a lot of money that I can invest in, in hydrogen. And that was when the microprocessor first came out. The microprocessor was one chip that was a whole computer. And so I read about that, I experimented with some things, and I came up with the idea, 
I'm going to make a whole computer. Not, I'm going to take the chip. I'm not just going to make a component. I'm going to make a whole computer all in one package. I'm going to have a keyboard. I'm going to have a display. I'm going to have two disk drives so I can copy things. If you only have one, you can read and you can write, but you can't copy. I could copy, send stuff to other people. I'm going to have software. I'm going to have this thing. So I started telling people about it, hoping that they would want to join me, they'd want to help me. Maybe some of them would want to invest because I didn't have any money to do it. So I started telling them. And as I explained to them, yeah, and I'm going to put it all in, a, in just one, one box. That, said, that box would be so, <laughs> it'd be as big as a car. No, no, you, we can make, with a microprocessor, we can make it so it'd be just a thing, sit right on your desk, say no. So you hadn't never that's, seen one of those That's people. impossible. Never seen and neither those. had they. But they had seen that you can't do it. And there were some reasons you couldn't do it. The parts didn't fit. For example, the disk drive, the smallest disk drive was that wide, that high, and that deep, and you need two of them. And they're heavy. That was a problem. So what I do? Gave up. <laughs> For a for time, <laughs> for a time, but then the the disk drive took an eight-inch disk, and so we shrunk it. We made a little disk drive. We said, "You can't do that." Can't snort. But we can. But we can. So we made a little disk drive, and we were able to put two of them right there in a little compartment in the computer. The screen had to be a cathode ray tube. We didn't have any flat panels. All we had is this thing that would shoot out electrons, and those electrons would go through two sets of magnets so we could bend where it would hit on the screen, and then the screen had a coating, so if it got hit by electron, it would glow for a few milliseconds. And so we'd shoot at the screen, and we'd use the magnets to put the, the screen was that big in front, but it went back that far behind. So we start jamming all these into one box. We made the whole computer on one circuit board. It was this wide and this tall. And I put it all together, announced it, and 900 people from that first announcement ordered one for $4,000. Actually, they were on sale, $3,995. <laughs> <laughs> That was $3,995,000 came in the mail. And I could build 10 a month because I didn't really have much of a company. But it was interesting. Before we built it, they said, you can't do it. It cannot be done. It cannot be done. After I built it, they said, well, anybody can build that. Yeah. <laughs> of course they and it did. was true, and they did, and a lot came out. These came out in 1976. And if you look, the IBM PC came out in 1981, five years later. In 1981, when the IBM PC came out, IBM bought software from Bill Gates and Microsoft. And young Bill Gates, who was a good friend of mine at that time, because I hired him to write programs for my computer long before IBM thought they were even going to make a little computer. But on his desk in the picture in Time Magazine, Bill is sitting there at his desk. Behind him on his credenza is a brand new IBM PC sitting there. 
And in front of him on his desk was a Billings computer, <laughs> which he had had for five years, and which he had a bunch of. And they developed all the Microsoft software on a Billings computer. And the first year, I think I paid the whole bill. <laughs> I paid the whole bill for a bill. <laughs> so you, yeah. you financed Microsoft. Yeah, well, well, I wouldn't say I financed him because he really helped me get going. Oh, yeah. He wrote Fortran and Macro Assembler and all these are different programs. These are languages that would run on the computer. An interesting thing about Bill, um, uh, Bill and I don't hang out a lot lately because I'm really busy. <laughs> you know, That's true. He, he's done that pretty well true. for himself, hasn't he? But uh, a few years ago, we came up with the Cellus Gold Books. And these gold books were for schools and for students that needed a computer where they could do a Cellus. And I wanted to make them very secure and very useful and very affordable. I really wanted to make them affordable. And they're in a nice metal case, you know, like the good computers are, and they're gold, and they're neat, and they're really good for a Cellus. Well, um, I wanted them to run on Windows, Microsoft Windows, and other computers that schools were buying are Chromebooks. Chromebooks don't even have an operating system, they just have kind of a, a browser that loads up, and, and I thought, you know, we need more security, we need more features, so I want to get a license from Microsoft and I don't want Microsoft Home because all of the powerful security features are stripped out for the home computers. I want a full professional version of Windows for these computers. So I ask our purchasing person to contact Microsoft and get a license to buy Windows Professional for our gold books. Well, she came back to me. She says, $198 per computer. It's $198. Our guys can't afford to pay that just for the operating system. What are we going to do? So I called the regional sales manager of the Gimnas Scott, and I said, hey, that, that, that price won't do. I, I need a much better price. And he says, well, what price do you need? And I said, what, $10, $20? <laughs> he said, that's funny. And I says, no, that's what we need. He said, we don't negotiate price. You know, Microsoft is pretty powerful, aren't they? Pretty well do what they want. And I says, well, will you do me a favor? Just ask Bill Gates. <laughs> he says, oh, so you think I run in the neighborhood with Bill? <laughs> and uh, he says, I, I've never met Bill. I said, well, send him a message and tell him, that I need some help here, and tell him it's me. Tell him it's Roger Billings. Well, now I don't know what happened behind the scenes because I wasn't there. But one month later, Microsoft said that my price wasn't going to be $20, and it wasn't even going to be $10. He gave us Windows Professional for our Gold books, free, zero, not it. Is that your one favor? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I want to show you the picture I was talking about out of Time Magazine. They just pulled it up for me. There it is. That is Mr. Bill Gates. 
five years after I met him, and on his, on our right, his left, you can see the Billings computer there all in one, and behind him is the brand new IBM PC that had just come out. And uh, I really think that we had a lot of impact on each other in those first five years, but I am really thankful to him, and if not him, whoever stepped up for him and provided those gold books for us at a very reasonable price. We actually are providing gold books to our students, and uh, we have a very good price because they were able to help us out, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that. We also have them in our STEM labs. Yeah. So we're out of time, I think. No, because we have this, oh, this and more. we have that, yeah. and we have yeah. what you were going to tell us oh, about. Oh, yeah. What were we going to talk about? For the struggles with getting your hydrogen engine Oh, yeah. Work. Boy. So if any of you ever started an old engine like on an old lawnmower, now you just snap in the battery and away <laughs> it goes. But it used to be you had to fill it with gasoline, uh -huh. and then you'd wrap this rope around it and pull it <laughs> and try and get it to start. Mm -hmm. Well, and then I got an old, wore-out lawnmower engine, and I tried to convert it to hydrogen. Every time I tried to start it, it would explode. It would backfire. It wouldn't run. And, you know, there's something kind of interesting about that engine and about all hydrocarbon gasoline engines, and that is they build up a layer of carbon. Um, I think it would be interesting to show how that works. I've got some flasks here. This flask has a little bit of baking soda in it, and a lot of you know how to make pop bottle rockets with baking soda and vinegar, right? So I put the vinegar in with the baking soda. They're going to react. They're going to bubble. And this gas is going to come out. If I was brave enough, I could put this cork in tight, and it would probably shoot it to the ceiling. <laughs> Let's do it. But I'm not no. that brave, right. so I'll, make, I'll put it in loosely. Okay. But uh, hopefully it won't go all over here. At any rate, the gas bubbling out of here is what's really interesting. So let's see if we can make it work. Here it goes in. Can you see it bubbling there? Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot of bubbles. And if I do cork it up, it will build up pressure. So this is a reaction where the gas that's coming off is carbon dioxide. It's a carbon with two oxygens. It's what we breathe out. We breathe in air, we use up the oxygen, and then we breathe out the CO2. Now, air is mostly nitrogen. It's 80% nitrogen. So we breathe in the nitrogen and the oxygen. We breathe all of the nitrogen back out. But the oxygen goes into our lungs where we have little capillary tubes where the blood's going through very, very thin, single file. And our red blood cells love oxygen. In fact, they hook right up and form a bond. And then the red blood cells go back into the big arteries and vessels, and they're pumped by the heart clear down into our toes and our fingers and the nethermost parts of our ears and things. <laughs> and okay. in each of those cells, they need to be able to make energy, and they make energy, but to do that, they have to have some kind of fuel, which is sugar, hydrocarbons, and we ate, and oxygen to burn it. 
So they actually burn it flamelessly inside these cells. And when they do, the oxygen is released by the red blood corpuscle or the red blood cell, and it gets in the reaction, creates the energy for the cell, creates CO2 because the hydrocarbon reacts with the oxygen, forms CO2 gas, and then the CO2 hooks with the red blood cells, and they carry it back out to the lungs. So we breathe in oxygen. The oxygen is pumped all over our bodies. It's used to power us. Then it turns into CO2. The CO2 is gathered up, all of them comes out, and then we and out comes the CO2. Now, we all knew that, didn't we? Okay, but there's more to the story. If, if you don't mind, I'd like to take just a quick trip into Area 51 and show you that carbon, the same carbon that comes out as CO2, the fizz and soda pop, the what we breathe out, can just be carbon. This is a block of carbon. Carbon is a black material. It's like graphite is carbon. So I want to show you how you can make some carbon. Okay, we're going to do an experiment to find out what happens to carbon. This is a, a laboratory flask, and I have some frozen hydrogen water. <laughs> All water is made of hydrogen. But I'm putting some ice into this flask to make the glass cold. When it gets cold, I'm going to put it in the flame. And it's going to quench the flame where carbon is combining with oxygen to make CO2, which is a gas that's coming off here all the time. Let's see if I can make this happen. Like you see, there's a candle flame. Can you see that? Where the flame got on this cold glass, it actually deposited pure carbon. The same carbon that normally goes all the way, it burns all the way from carbon into CO2. Sometimes if I make the right draft on the flame, it'll give off carbon. So this is what happens in inside of an engine. You're burning a hydrocarbon fuel and sometimes it doesn't burn completely, so it starts forming carbon deposits inside the engine. When I tried to convert the engine to run on hydrogen, all of these carbon deposits acted like a match, igniting the hydrogen just while it was trying to pull the gas into the chamber. And I found out that's why it backfired. So you're just going to have to take my word for it. Okay. You're not taking my word, are you? I want, it. I want more. All right. So this carbon <laughs> can really be a problem. And inside the engine, when I was trying to run on hydrogen, I'd wrap the rope around, I'd pull it, and it would start going, would pull in some hydrogen, and the carbon would ignite the hydrogen before the cylinder valve closed, and it would, it would pop. It would explode. And I was going to show you an actual demonstration of that so that you would know that I'm really reporting accurately. We wanted to see But it. I ran into a little problem. Uh, it turns out that in Area 51, we have a stray personality. <laughs> and he kind of interfered with what I was going to show you, so I'm just going to tell you about it. He interfered? 
there's something wrong with that guy. <laughs> yeah. You see, R51 is, you know, when you make a lot of copies of something that's really good, <laughs> sometimes they go a little bit off. How is that possible if you have something okay, really I'll just, good? Okay, I'll just show it, but I'm not taking responsibility for this. So you want to know, is it true that it was really hard to get an engine to run on hydrogen? Is that the question? We want to know that, yes. All right, let's find out. Hey, R51, nice oh. to see you. <laughs> Hi, we're going to show the students the hydrogen engine, and uh, I'm going to show them how we had a problem with the backfiring. So our challenge today is to see if we can get this engine running, okay? So, by the way, I, what's that on your pocket? This? Oh, R51, the best? Who says that you're the best? So I'll remember which one I am. <laughs> anyway, back to what we're saying. The goal somehow is can we get this engine running? So here's what we're going to do. Now you see, that was one of those illegal things you never do when you're, when you're performing. I showed you my back. And so whenever you're on camera, like you're filming in the Cellus course or something, if you want to go to the other side, you don't go like this, because students have no interest in your backside. So what you do is you go like this. You like that? Remember that. That's a lesson for you. Okay, so this is a lawnmower engine. It's got a piston that goes up and down inside. On top here's a spark plug. And the way you start this engine is you have a rope, and you pull the rope to give it a spin, and that's supposed to get it started. Now I have this hooked up by a hydrogen line to this valve, and then it goes over to the hydrogen cylinder. So hydrogen comes from there. When I turn on this valve, hydrogen flows through here, goes into the intake, and when I pull it, it's supposed to pull that inside, and this, of course, is the exhaust where it's supposed to come out burned. Now, for three years, I tried to get this engine running for the science fair, and I tried a lot of different things. I made different carburetors. A carburetor is supposed to mix the hydrogen going in here with the air that's supposed to go in here, and it has to be in just the right mixture for it to burn properly. Well, making a carburetor for a gaseous fuel turned out to be pretty challenging for a high school student. And so I had a lot of problems. And that's when I found out that uh, making an engine run on hydrogen is a lot harder than you think. Now, I'm going to do a practice pull. I haven't turned on the hydrogen, but I'm going to just get a, a hold of this this rope here and do a practice pull so you can see what we're going to do. I don't want to touch spark plug because if I do, I'll get shocked every time it goes around. Here we go. <laughs> so obviously the engine didn't start because there is no hydrogen, okay? But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to turn on a little bit of hydrogen. I'll have some flow go in here and let's see if I can get it to start, okay? Here we go. So just a little bit of flow. I'm listening to hear it. Okay, I got a little bit of flow now. Give it a pull. Didn't start very good, did it? 
you notice I'm wearing safety glasses. So this time, I didn't have enough hydrogen in there because I turned it off after I started it. Hey, kind of did that on purpose. A little spooked. I don't know if we can get this going this way or not. I'm going to turn it on, and this time I'm going to leave it on and pull it and see what happens. Here goes. Here we go. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get it. Don't worry. We'll make it run. Okay. So as you can see, uh, that didn't work out so well. That's called a backfire. Instead of having an explosion inside the cylinder when the valves are closed so that it pushes the piston, the fire came out the intake here. And uh, that's not, that's really not very neat, as you can tell. And this is what happened every time I try to start my hydrogen engine. Let's, let's not give up. Let's try it again. I don't know if we're going to be able to get this running or not. Here we go. Turn on the hydrogen. I don't think we're going to be able to get it running. I just, I don't think there's any way to get this running. We should change to a different science fair project. <laughs> I'm really getting discouraged. Don't get discouraged. We will get this engine running. I know we can make it run. No. How are we going to get it to run? Time How out. are we ever going to get it to Time run? Well, we uh, must be doing something wrong. <laughs> you must be doing something wrong. Well, enough of that. <laughs> you know, and uh, I just wanted to say that this reminds me of the optimism curve. Remember, you start out and you're so sure it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And then as you start getting into it, yeah. it turns out to be a lot harder than you thought. And then you start getting discouraged and get discouraged and get discouraged. And for two years, I did change science fair projects. Wow. But every year I came back, my third year, I was really determined to make it run. Now, if I'd had R51, I probably would have, well, probably would have dropped out. Is what I would have done. <laughs> There's something wrong with that guy. Okay. Well, let, let's just see how this ends. Okay. There's got to be a way to get it running. Why are you so confident? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gasoline this engine will run. I guarantee it. Okay, so now <laughs> I'm finally my last year of high school, my last science fair. If I don't get it working, then what am I going to do? Well, this time I realized I needed to get it to to turn better while I'm getting everything set right. So I connected a great big electric motor. I'm going to go around the other side so you can see this better. I mounted the engine on this platform, and then I put an electric motor. This electric motor is hooked up to the wall. So when I turn on the switch, the motor starts turning, which makes the engine start turning. Uh, I'm going to show you here on the other side. Can you see that I have a pulley from this motor going around and it's turning the engine? And since this pulley's little and this one's bigger, the engine 
turns half as fast as the motor. So the motor has a lot of power to turn it. So without even turning on the hydrogen, I can make it go around. Let me show you. Watch this. The hydrogen's turned off. There we go. So now I've got the engine motoring with no hydrogen. So it's not doing any work. This electric motor is doing all the work. But now I've set up an experiment where I can test the mixture and things to see if I can get it just perfect. So in this mode, I'm going to go ahead and get it motoring, and then I'm going to start adding just a little bit of hydrogen. Now watch. Here comes the hydrogen. I'm going to do that again. Turn it off. Now listen to the difference in sound when I add hydrogen. Can you hear those explosions? And I'm going to turn off the motor. Now it's running just on hydrogen. If I slow it down or speed it up, So I have an engine running completely on hydrogen. If I turn the hydrogen off, it'll stop. So the secret was to get it motoring like this. And once it started motoring, all of the carbon that was built up inside this combustion chamber, because it had been running for years on gasoline, was igniting the hydrogen. So when the intake valve would open, and the fuel started going in with air, it would hit that hot carbon, it would ignite and explode out this hole. And it did that even with the motor for about 10 minutes. But the hydrogen burning in there was burning the carbon out. And in 10 minutes, all of that carbon soot that had built up really thick inside the combustion chamber was all turned into carbon dioxide and had gone off into the air. And so now, I can start anytime I want. Let's start it one more time. First of all, turn on the switch so that it motors. Then add the hydrogen. Can you hear the difference? Now I want to. I want to show you one more little demonstration. Do you remember this flask that we put the ice in? So this is nice and cold here. And when the hydrogen burns, it makes water. And water, as steam, comes out of this exhaust pipe. And I can fill it with my hand. And it smells nice and clean. What I'm going to do is start it again, and I'm going to let the exhaust go over this cold container. And I want to see if we can condense some of that water. So here we go. Turn on the power. Here we go. Now I'm going to turn on the hydrogen. Turn off the power. Now watch.
I'm starting to get a lot of water condensing on the bottom of this flask. It's getting very wet. And in a minute we'll get enough water, it'll start dripping off the bottom. This is homemade water. <laughs> you see how wet that is? Pure, clean. That's the freshest made water you ever taste. <laughs> so what do you just think? Just like that. So you, you got it working. Could you excuse me for just a minute? Of course. Just I, I have some business I need to take care of. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Right here? <laughs> oh. Are five is the best? I would like to meet her. Oh. <laughs> R is the best. You are the best. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>